treasures that fade are never enough. And you came along. You came along. You put me back together. Now every desire is now satisfied.
Good morning, church. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. How is everybody today? Are we ready to praise the holy and risen Christ? Say amen. amen. Yes, yes. We're so glad to see you again. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Uh, if you're joining us either online or here um, in the church, we're glad that you're here. So thank you for uh, sharing your Sunday worship time with us. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors, and um, we're excited. We're excited for what God is going to do in this place today, and it was amazing. Nobody showed up at 9:30, so give yourself a round of applause for that. <laughs> um, I was thinking, you know, we talked Christmas Eve night about the challenges that we have had this past year, right, and what to look forward to. And I was reminded of of the the author of Hebrews who says that that we we put behind what's behind us, and we look forward and we run the race. And that, that the connotation is not just that we put behind the bad things that have happened, but we put behind the good things, that we forget everything that we've done, and we look forward, and we keep our eyes on Christ. And we have a reason to celebrate. We have victory in Christ. And the scripture, more scripture that I thought of, is found in um, a, a couple of different places. But God says, Paul says, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He goes on, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Isn't that amazing? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I would invite you, church, to stand and let's sing, knowing that we have that victory in Christ, that there's nothing to fear, that we run the race and we keep our eyes on Jesus. He will prevail, and that's a mighty, mighty thing. There's nothing to fear. So I'm going to lead us in prayer, and we're going to sing, and we're going to celebrate. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the truth in Christ Jesus. And I pray nothing more, Lord, nothing more that that these, your people that have gathered, that we would sing, that we would take hold of that victory in Christ, that by faith we believe that, again, we don't just celebrate the birth of our Savior, but we celebrate in many ways your death, as awful as that is, as awful as that was, but you came for a purpose to die for those that would believe. While we were enemies, your word says you died for us. So that if we believe in Christ, we have died with you, buried in baptism, where we come and we're risen in a new life. So help us to celebrate, lead your people. May your Holy Spirit have complete and total reign, not just in this event, but in every aspect of our lives. Let's sing together in Christ's name. sing a victory today. Sing loud. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never
I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. your name up in praise, Lord, for you are worthy. You have saved your people. Sing a praise to you today. We worship you, Lord. Falling on my knees in worship, giving all I am to see. Rescue and I, one. 
can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you, Pastor Scott. Thank you, worship team. Aren't they good, y'all? Thank you. Thank you. Man, it is an honor and a privilege to be able to come in front of you uh, a second time. If y'all missed the Christmas Eve service, that's probably for the best, but no. Uh, no, seriously, it's, uh, it's really, really, really good to be here. I just want to take another moment to remind you and encourage you, pray for your pastors. Pray for Pastor Brad. Pray for his family. Pray for healing. Pray for health. And don't just do it now, right? Like things like this, it's a good reminder to pray for our Pastor Brad. Like, yeah, he's got something happening, right? There's sickness. There's something we can intentionally pray for. Man, we need prayer all the time. So if I could just, just, just encourage you in that direction, please pray for us because uh, we, we desperately desire to see God do something great here. And it's not going to happen in our own strength, right? It's not going to happen apart from God and His Holy Spirit working through us and apart from His people praying and seeking Him. So let me just encourage you in that direction. But um, uh, this morning, um, we're going to be looking at a familiar passage. And my hope and my prayer is that famili- familiarity would not breed uh, just uh, disregard. That you would maybe hear this text in a new light. That God's Spirit would breathe a fresh word to you this morning. So if you have your Bibles, would you go and turn with me to Matthew 28? And, and as you're turning there, um, I wonder, have you ever done something that requires specific instructions? Maybe like, like cooking, for instance. Like um, uh, It has specific requirements, right? Um, you, you've, you have to have the right ingredients for something, or it's not going to turn out as intended. Uh, you know, you can't replace salt with sugar, or vice versa, right? That usually doesn't work out real well. Um, There's certain ingredients that are necessary. Maybe you're one of our high school seniors, and you're looking at requirements that colleges have, whether it's SAT or ACT scores or community service hours, right? You're looking at what are the different requirements that they have, maybe certain GPAs. Um, You know, I can remember when I was um, 15 years old. I was 15 years old and 364 days. And I could not wait to get my driver's license. And I knew the next day, I'd been counting down for months, marking off in the calendar, the next day I was going to the DMV. Of all places, who's happy to go to the DMV? But I was ecstatic, right? I could not wait to get there. And, and so uh, I'm 364 days, and I wake up the next morning, we pop in the car, we get there first thing, I've got all the papers, you know, there's not the one thing you forgot, we got the whole bundle. And they said, wait, you're, you're how old? I said, 16. They said, like, like 16, 16, like, 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 it's your birthday? Yep, it's my birthday. Oh, I'm sorry. You've got to be 16 in one day. I, I, said, I said, are you kidding me? They're, they're like, nope, you've got to come back tomorrow. And, oh, man, can I just tell you, I was crushed. I was so disappointed, so upset. I mean, I'd built this thing up for months and months, and just, I just wanted to get my license, just wanted to pass the test, and I was crushed. And maybe you've experienced something like that before. Maybe you've experienced something uh, along those lines that's just left you feeling beat down and deflated and disappointed. My hope is that as we take a look at this very famous scripture this morning, as we look at God, Jesus' words in the Great Commission, um, that God would show us 
not requirements for the DMV, but requirements for his mission. And my hope is that these requirements would not leave you feeling deflated and beat down, but that they would build you up and give you hope. So if you have your Bibles, 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 Matthew 28, we're going to start in verse 16. If you're there, say word. All right, let's get into it. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The first thing I want you to grab hold of this morning, the first thing I want us to see is that obedience to the Great Commission requires your worship. Obedience to the Great Commission requires your worship. Look back at verse 16. It says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. You see, at this point in Matthew, Jesus has already been arrested. He's been falsely accused. He's been beaten and whipped and ultimately crucified upon the cross. And when he died, he was buried in a tomb. Until three days later, he gloriously rose from the dead. And when he arose, a couple of women saw him. And as he appeared to them, he told them, hey, go and tell my disciples what you've seen. Go and tell them I'm going ahead of them. Tell them to meet me at Galilee. And he said it was there at Galilee that they would see him. And so we jump back to verse 16 and the disciples, they've traveled to Galilee. And apparently Jesus gave a bit more instructions because he wanted, to, he wanted them to meet him on a mountaintop. And so they traveled to Galilee. They get on top of the mountain. They've arrived. And now here's the big moment, right? They physically, literally see Jesus. And we read it again, but I want you to listen to verse 17. I want you to listen to verse 17. I want you to pay specific attention to their response when they see Jesus. It says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Do you see it? We have two responses here. Those who worshipped and those who doubted. Those, and, and this tells me that even here, right, even here at Southview Baptist Church on uh, the, the last Sunday of 2020, right, you are the faithful few we've gathered here. Even here right now in this room, this tells me there are people who have one of these two responses. Either you see Jesus, you see him in his glory, and you worship, or you see him and you doubt. The question is, how, how do you see Jesus? What is your response to him? Look, look back a little bit further in Matthew 28. Go back to verse 9. Okay, if you go back to verse 9, uh, Jesus is appearing to the women there. And he says, Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took a hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. 
So again, this is speaking of, of uh, the women who encountered Jesus on their way to his tomb. And what did they do when they saw him? They worshipped. When many of his disciples got to the mountaintop, what did they do? What did they do when they saw him? They worshipped. Why? Why did they worship? Because Jesus is worthy of worship. You see, for, for those of us who understand the gospel, there can be no other response. Because you see, the gospel tells us that I'm a sinner. I've disobeyed God, and as a result of my disobedience, I deserve death. And the gospel says there's nothing I can do to fix that. There's nothing I can do to change that. No amount of good deeds, karma, no, no amount of living up to a certain standard. I can't erase or remove the penalty of sin that I'm under. Only a perfect sacrifice can do that. So Jesus came and lived that perfect life. And he died upon the cross, bearing my sin and shame. And he rose again to give me life. That's the gospel. That's good news. And that is why we worship. You know, you could, if you want, want to know what the gospel is, you want to know a quick way to say it. Here's an easy way to say the, the gospel. The gospel is Jesus in my place. I stole that from someone, but it's okay. He didn't just, here's the thing, Jesus didn't just live the life that I was meant to live. But he died the death that I was meant to die. He didn't just bear my sin and unrighteousness, but he gave me his perfect righteousness. He didn't just have the Father turn his back on him. But as the Father turned his back on him, he turned it towards us, face towards us, and adopted us into his family. He didn't just bear our shame. But he gave me his honor. This was not earned. It wasn't as though uh, I or you had lived well enough, or that we tried hard enough, or that God saw some unseen potential in who we could be. No, Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his love toward us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You see, it's, 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 it's grace. It, it was while you were at your absolute worst, while you were rebelling and spitting in Jesus' face, at that point, Jesus said, I love you, and he died for you. That's why for those of us who understand the gospel, when we see Jesus, there can only be one response, worship. But what does it mean to worship something? Quite literally, it means to, to give worth to something. So let, let's think about that. How, how do you guys show worth to something? How do you, how do you guys show worth to things in your life? Um, uh, men, let, let me talk to you for a moment. Uh, how, let's take your wives. How do you show value to your wives? Right? How do I show value to my, my wife, Emily? Um, what sort of things could I do to, to, to give her worth, to show her worth? I could spend time with her, right? Right. I, I could give of my time. I could spend time with her. Um, you know, it's Christmas. I could buy her pretty things, right? right? That, that, that's, that's a nice thing to do. Um, you know, I could surprise her with something I knew she wanted because I paid attention and listened and heard about it. Ladies, does that sound like, does that sound like a good start, ladies? I could, I, could tell her, um, I could tell her how awesome she is. 
I can tell her how amazing, how beautiful she is. Are we getting somewhere, ladies? Does this sound like we're starting to show some worth, some value? Do you think that she feels that? Do you think if we were to do these things that that would express something to her? But let's flip it around. let's let's, Let's flip it around. Let's say I never spend any time with Emily. I never buy her anything. I never pay attention to her or listen to her or even think about her. I never tell her she's beautiful or amazing. Would you really think that I value her? Would you really think that I find worth in her? Sure, I might say with my mouth that I do, but everything in my life, every action would scream the opposite. It would be a sham. The only appropriate response in light of who Jesus is and what he has done is worship. And the the reality is that each and every one of us were created to worship. The question is not whether or not you were created for worship, but who or what are you worshiping? What preoccupies all of your time, your thoughts, your money? What are you always talking about? What, when people look at you, what do they know based on these things? What would they say about you? Because whatever it is that you worship, whatever it is that consumes your life, that is what you worship. And what I'm telling you tonight is that you will never be able to fulfill Jesus' commandments here in the Great Commission. You will never be able to go and make disciples of all nations. You will never be able to complete the task God has given you if you're not starting from a place of worshiping Jesus. If, if, if you just, listen, if you've just got Sunday school Jesus, and he's nice, and he's cool, he's convenient, he's there when you need him, but, you know, he's, when you're done, he's all right just kind of sitting on the shelf, you know, sitting there like an elf on a shelf. All right, if that's your type of Jesus, then you cannot hope to obey God. You, you cannot hope to carry out his mission because when things get tough, when it's no longer convenient, when the mission starts to cost and require things from you, you'll quit. You will quit. Flimsy postcard Jesus cannot sustain you. What you need are pierced hands Jesus, empty tomb Jesus, exalted and seated at the right hand of God Jesus. He will carry you through your darkest days. He will empower you to accomplish his task. And it's when you see Jesus as he truly is, and we see ourselves utterly, desperately wicked, ugly, unlovable, and yet infinitely loved. That we go, oh God, why me? Who can explain it? And in that, we worship. But some of you this morning, you're not worshiping, you're doubting. I mean, perhaps perhaps you're doubting the whole concept of Christianity and and church in general. You know, just you're disillusioned. You question the genuineness of people. You've been hurt by people in the past, other Christians. You've been hurt by pastors. And now you're just doubtful that any of this is even real. 
Friend, if that's you, can I just ask you, can I just lovingly ask you not to look at people? People are going to fail you. Pastors are going to fail you. I am no savior. I'm not perfect. Pastor Brad, Pastor Scott, Pastor Steve, we are not perfect. We don't got it all figured out. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Don't look at people. The women at the tomb, the disciples, they didn't look at people. They looked at Jesus. And some of you here today, you're perhaps doubting God's love. And you question whether or not it's real or that he could actually love you despite all of your mistakes. You've been burned by people in the past who claim to love you. You've got jacked up families, jacked up friends and relationships. And so you're just hurting and you're doubting. You see God not as a loving God, but as wrathful and vindictive. He's a judge just waiting to punish you. Because that's all you've ever really known. And can I just say to you this morning, that if that's you, you don't know my Jesus. My Jesus befriended the disenfranchised. He loved the outcast. He ate with sinners. He helped the woman with the problem of blood. He spoke to the woman at the well. He fellowshiped with Zacchaeus, a tax collector, and he ministered to lepers. He, he told the children to come to him. He healed the blind and made the lame walk. He fed the hungry and rebuked the self-righteous. At his name, demons shudder. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the prince of peace, king of kings, alpha and omega, creator, sustainer, the one who bore your wrath upon the cross in your place. See him. See Jesus. He is the one this morning who offers you grace, forgiveness, purpose, and life. And if you see him, <laughs> you'll worship. He's either Lord of all or he's Lord of nothing. You don't just kind of follow Jesus. Either he's sitting on the throne of your life or you are. If you want to be used by God, if you want to be involved in his mission for your life, then it will require your worship. And that starts first by you seeing him and seeing yourself and making the, the intentional choice to step down off the throne of your life and submit to God's authority. You see, at, uh, at the core of every sin of humanity is a sinful, rebellious heart that places ourselves at the center of our lives. It, it places us at the center of our own universe in which we choose how to live. But responding in worship humbly says, God, I don't want to live the way, I don't want to live like that anymore. I don't want to live how I want to live, but I see you and I want to follow you. Right, that, that, that's worship, to show God's way and his desires are more important than our own. And obedience to the Great Commission begins and requires your worship. But secondly, secondly, as we, as we move on here, obedience to the Great Commission doesn't just require your worship, but here's a big one. 
requires your willingness. It requires your worship, but it also requires your willingness. Look at verse 19. Verse 19, Jesus continues, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So Jesus, get this, he's gathered his disciples on a mountain. He's about to ascend back into heaven, back to the Father. And these are his final, some of his final words, right? His, his last marching orders to his disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. Right? It, it, it's an imperative statement. It, it's a command. That's why we call it the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion. Jesus was not leaving, he was not leaving this command for just the 11 disciples. But he's given the same command to each and every person who claims the name of Christ. In Acts 1.8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what this means is that right now, at this very moment, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're on mission. You're not preparing for a mission. This isn't basic training. You are fully enrolled in the Lord's army. And whether or not you know it, you're already on a battlefield. Too long have these passages been relegated to, uh, to the, the hyper-Christians, to the missionaries or the evangelists. You know, the super elite SEAL Team 6 Christians. Those are the ones who are supposed to obey these commands. When the reality is that God's desire is for every believer. Okay, so you're, you're tracking with me, right? You're tracking, you're saying, all right, I'm hearing you, I've got it, I need to be on mission check, I'm on a battlefield check, but what does God need me to do? He needs your willingness to go. Your willingness to obey, right? He says go, that word go literally means as you are going. So the idea this morning is that as you are going throughout your normal daily life, as 2020 ends and we move into 2021, as you go throughout your normal life, you are going on mission. On mission for what? On mission to make disciples. Pastor Ryan, what's a disciple? At its very simplest form, a disciple is a follower. Specifically here, we're talking about a follower of Jesus. How does one become a follower of Jesus? How did you become a follower of Jesus? If you're in this room this morning and you claim the name of Christ, how did you become a follower of Jesus? Paul says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So they hear the gospel and as they hear it, they respond in faith and worship, right? So here's, here's how this looks. You and I, we first we, we, we heard the gospel from somebody, somewhere. We heard the gospel, and we were so overwhelmed by who Jesus is and what he had done for us that we responded in faith and worship. And now, out of our worship, we go. Right? We go. We go everywhere. We go to school, when students, when you wake up in the morning, to, to work, to your neighbors, your dentist, the grocery store, your favorite restaurants. You go everywhere. And as you go, you share the same exact message you heard, the same message you received. And then when others, when they hear it, they respond in faith and worship. And out of their worship, they go and tell others. 
right? This is God's plan. This is God's desire for all of us that we would be willing to go and out of our love and worship of him, go and tell others about him. But God hasn't just called us to go and tell, right? We could think of really easy ways to do that. I mean, you could just drive down the street with a bullhorn on top of your car and just kind of shout at people. And some people do that, right? You know, it, but it's not just about going and telling, right? No, God, he hasn't just called you to go and tell, but he's also called you to go and dwell, right? He, he called us to make radical relationships. Look back at verse 19. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Right, so we're to go and make disciples. A disciple is a follower of Jesus, and following Jesus starts by responding in faith to the gospel. But it doesn't end there. Following Jesus starts by hearing the gospel and responding in faith. And so we go and tell but discipleship does not end with telling the gospel. It begins there. Then we're told to baptize people, right? To baptize them, demonstrating publicly their decision to follow Jesus. But how many people did you baptize that you just shouted at going down the street? I mean, could that happen? Sure. Maybe you have a moment where you're like Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch and God calls you somewhere and you baptize on the spot, but really, how often is it that you baptize someone that you've just kind of shouted at, for, uh, you know, doing drive-by evangelism? Doesn't, it doesn't really happen. What, what we see is that, generally speaking, disciples are made in the context of relationships. It's made in the context of relationship. And so, now, again, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but Jesus said that we're to teach someone all that he commanded, right? To go and make disciples, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I've commanded. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not the smartest guy, but in order for you to know how to teach something, what's it important for you to know? What you're teaching, right? I mean, can you teach something that you haven't been taught? There's, and there's a couple ways that you can learn, right? I mean, I could stand here and I could tell you something and you can learn, you can listen, you can learn from me that way. Or you could watch me do something and you can learn that way. Yeah, I caught my son Canaan, he's our, um, our oldest, he's two and a half, I caught him uh, eating a crayon the other day. And, uh, and I can promise you, uh, he did not learn that from me. It, it, was, it was Emily, but no, no. Um, <laughs> you know, like he, um, he's realized recently that he can take his little stool and he can put it up against the wall, and he can stand up, reach up just a little bit, and, and he just flicks the lights on and off. Now, I didn't teach him that. I didn't say, now, son, come here. If you put your stool right here, you can stand up and just flick these lights on and off, and mommy and daddy are going to love that. No, we, we, I didn't teach him that, but he watched us. He watched us, he watched our example, what we were doing, and he learned. And that is why I say discipleship never happens outside of a relationship. If we're called to teach someone to obey everything that Jesus has commanded, that's not going to happen on drive-by evangelism. You don't have the time. It requires relationship. And so the first radical relationship needed is your own with Jesus. 
Again, if you do not have intimacy with Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with him, then you will not be able to teach someone else how to. If you're not worshiping Jesus, then neither your words nor your life will teach others how to follow him. So how do you worship Jesus? When you give worth to him. You spend time with him. You spend time in, with him in, in, in prayer and in his word. You think about him. You talk about him. You use your resources for him. You don't do or say certain things that you know he wouldn't like. I say this is radical. It's a radical relationship because the world looks at someone who walks that way and they're confused. Why would you do that? Right? Why would you not want to do what you want to do? Right? Why would you not do what's best for you? The mission starts with worship and your willingness to have a radical relationship with Jesus, and it continues with your willingness to have radical relationships with others. And these relationships, I say, are radical because they are, one, intentional, and two, impartial. They're intentional because you are on mission. You're sent. You have a goal. You're not just kind of flopping around meeting people, but the, it, it, what this means is that there is no room for a casual relationship in a, in a Christian's life. There is no, ru- there is no room for, for just, just a friend. We serve a sovereign God, and he has positioned you where you are at, and he's positioned the people around you where they are at for a reason. He is intentional, not a coincidental God. So this doesn't mean that you, again, it doesn't mean you shout the gospel at every person you meet or that you have to share the gospel immediately with everyone you encounter. It does, however, mean that every relationship you have, every person you're in contact with, every everyone that you meet, God desires for you to be seeking to build relationships towards the purpose of sharing the gospel and making disciples. That's why these are radical relationships, because God desires every every spectrum, every sphere of influence that you have, God is calling you to leverage it towards his mission. They're intentional relationships, but they're also impartial. And what I mean by impartial is that they are unbiased, non-judgmental, open to all. And why do I say that? Because God's called us to go to all nations. That word nations not just referring to countries, but it refers to people groups, every tribe and tongue. What, what it means is that you're going, as you're going about your life, you're going to encounter people. And there's no one that you encounter that God is not calling you to make a disciple. So the old man sitting by himself on the bench at the park, the lady in the cat shirt in front of you at Walmart, right? The, the, the waitress with the smoker's voice, the, the homeless, the arrogant, the despised, the, the whoever you want to throw in there. There is no one that God is not calling you to engage. Why? Because at the heart of the gospel is the reality that you and I are desperately wicked and deserving of death, but the grace of God has given us life, and so there is no one who is better than anyone else. And I know that this, this might be, you might be nervous, you might, this might, you might feel a little uncertain or, or not entirely prepared for this, 
for what God wants you to do. But let me leave you with two encouragements. Two truths that Jesus gives us. He says first in verse 18, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know what that word authority means? It means power. Power. He says, I have all power. Then verse 20. Verse 20, he says, behold, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. And so sandwiched between, uh, our command to make disciples is sandwiched between these two glorious truths of God, these two glorious promises that one, he has all power. On heaven and on earth, he is in control, he's reigning, he has the power, and he's always with you. I will never leave or forsake you. I am here till the end of time. I have all power and I'm always with you, so go. You cannot fulfill God's command on your own. But he empowers you to accomplish his will. Don't, don't trust in your own strength. Lean on his. And I don't, I don't know where some of you are at this morning. I don't know what's been going on in your life, at home, this year. I don't, I don't know what's coming next year. But what I do know is that God speaks through his word. And I know that right now the Holy Spirit is speaking to your hearts. And some of you in this room, God is calling you flat out this morning to lay down some pride. He's calling some of you to lay down some pride, some prejudice, some fear. And to be willing to step out of your comfort zone and to build radical relationships with people you honestly don't like. Some of you, God's Holy Spirit is convicting you over perhaps the way you've treated certain people, maybe even people in this room today. And God is prodding you to seek forgiveness, to make amends. Some of you right now, you're jacked. You're not jacked, you're jacked up. I mean, you're fired up, right? Like, like you, you just want to get out there and share the gospel, and right now... God is, you just need to ask God's Holy Spirit to lead you. You just need to say, God, would you, would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you provide me with opportunities? Some of you are just totally lost and confused. Nothing I've said this morning really makes sense because you came in a doubter. You came in worshiping yourself, but now you've been confronted with Jesus. You've seen him. And the Holy Spirit is leading you to respond in faith and worship. Listen, if that's you this morning, if that's you, Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. These are promises. It's not a hope. It's not a roll of the dice. You can take it to the bank. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but I pray that you would be obedient to whatever it is Holy Spirit is leading you to do. I pray that you would leave here not beat down. My, my hope is not to beat you down and let you leave here feeling discouraged. My hope is that you would leave here motivated and empowered to do what God desires for you to do. Don't beat yourself up. Please, please don't beat yourself up. I spent too many years beating myself up. If you need some help, Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan is called the accuser for a reason. 
Conviction does not bring you to condemnation. Conviction brings you to Jesus. It's restorative. It brings you back into relationship. So if you feel beat down, that's not Jesus, and you rebuke that this morning. But if God is leading you into a deeper walk with him, if God is drawing you into deeper intimacy of him, if God is revealing to you his, his desire for you and your role in his mission, his kingdom, I pray that you would lean into that. And you would ask God to lead you. Let me pray for us now. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for a chance just to open your word and hear from you, Lord. I pray right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work and move amongst this room, that it would have freedom. Lord, that there would be no one here, uh, nothing here that distracts or takes away from what you desire to do. God, I pray we would leave here just excited about who you are. Lord, as we go into 2020, God, would you give us just a huge vision of who you are and what you've done? Would it not just be a, a flash in the pan, but would you fix our eyes on you? And would we move forward just in awe of who you are? I ask all this in your holy and your precious name. Amen. As we close out this last year together, church, I'm going to sing a song called Noel, and I invite you to simply, to simply ponder the truths that Pastor Ryan has laid before us to simply marvel at who Christ is. And I invite you, you can come pray. You can stand and sing with us if you want. You can stand and worship externally. You can sit and ponder, but take this time and just marvel in the graciousness and the holiness of our Savior.
Church, I just want to thank you for being here. I want to wish you Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's. Go in God's love, go in God's grace. Go knowing that you are loved and treasured and valued more than you'll ever know, that God desires to use you, he has a plan for you. And go in his power. We are going to see a victory, amen? amen? So go in that. Be blessed. Love y'all.